Well, folks, there it is in a nutshell. God save the South. Because she's definitely been under attack from the devil now for nigh on to 160 plus years. So, welcome back everyone to Whistling Dixie. Going to approach things just a little bit different today than I've been doing in the past been about three weeks since I've done a Whistling Dixie. Lots of things going on, lots of things taking place. Uh, got in some new documents and reading through those documents and then trying to scan them so that I can get them out to some folks who have been so generous in their help to uh, keep the effort going. And so... As I said, I'm going to approach these things a little bit different, and I started off with God Save the South, and then here in a couple of minutes, I'm going to do the entirety of the song, The Bonnie Blue Flag, because I want everyone to listen very carefully to the words of the Bonnie Blue Flag. The words are very, very critical. So I want you to listen to that, and then I'm going to jump into the meat of Whistling Dixie about our flags, about so many things, and about who is actually responsible for the death of the South. Some people aren't going to like it, but it's my opinion, and I sell it for what it's worth. But first off, let me give you a quote from Blaise Pascal. And I quote, Truth is so obscure in these times, and falsehood so established, that unless we love the truth, we cannot know it. Unquote. Okay, folks. Listen very carefully. Fighting for the property we gained by honest toil. And when our rights were threatened, the cry rose near and far. Hurrah for the bonny blue flag that bears a single star. Hurrah, hurrah, for southern rights, hurrah. Hurrah for the bonny blue flag that bears a single star. First gallant South Carolina. Nobly made the stand Then came Alabama And took her by the hand 
Mississippi, Georgia, and Florida, all raised on high the bunny blue flag that bears a single star. Hurrah! 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 For Southern rights, hurrah! Hurrah for the bunny blue flag that bears a single star. Ye men of valor, gather round the banner of the right. Texas and fair Louisiana, join us in the fight. Davis, our good president, and Stephen, statesman, are. All rally round the bonny blue flag that bears a single star. Hurrah! 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 For southern rights, hurrah! Hurrah for the bonny blue flag that bears a single star. Strong we are and brave Like patriots of old We'll fight our heritage to save And rather than submit to shame To die we would prefer So cheer for the bonny blue flag That bears a single star Hurrah! 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 For southern rights hurrah Hurrah for the bonny blue flag That bears a single star Yes, what a beautiful rendition, and folks, those words are so very, very, very important as we look at so many different things today. And think of the beginning. We are a band of brothers and native to the soil, fighting for the property we gained by honest toil. And when our rights were threatened, the cry rose near and far. Wow, what a group of people those people were to not be willing to accept tyranny on a stick. And they actually had the intestinal fortitude, the courage to stand up and to actually do something. Ye men of valor gather round the banner of the right. Wow, is that ever going to happen again? I doubt it. I doubt it ever so seriously that that will ever happen again. Oh. Then here's to our Confederacy. Strong we are and brave. Strong we were. Because today the people of the South, the white people of the South. And here I'm going to get into this a little earlier than I anticipated, but I'm angry. And I'm damn tired of this. I'm tired of seeing this. But as I look around me, I know, and I know where to place the blame. I can't play, place the blame on the wonderful Jewish-led National Association for the Advancement of Colored People who have induced, paid, intimidated, and cajoled the black population of America to turn against their own heritage and their own history. No, I can't blame them. They initiated the idea. They started it. But then, let's look. Can we blame Antifa? No, we can't blame Antifa. Can we blame 
Black Lives Matter. No, we can't blame those people either. Who's to blame for this? It's not the people who do it. It's the people who allow it to happen. And we are the people that are allowing this to happen to us. This is us. This is the spirit of freedom. It's who we are. Or it's who we were. The problem, as I see it, from my perch here in the Deep South in late 2022, is not, as I just said, the policies of the Marxist mostly now being preached by black politicians who are the front men. These are the skirmishers for the deadly Jewish bastards of the National Association of the Advancement for Colored People. But the problem is in the gutless white race which refuses to stand for the truths of history because they fear that someone might call them a name. White cowards have destroyed liberty in the South and liberty in the entire country. For that, I am reminded back in 2012, I think it was, and there was a bumper sticker that was very popular in the southwest corner of Colorado where I lived at the time. And it was a bumper sticker that, that was a political bumper sticker. I'm not into politics, but the bumper sticker said... Uh, it's 2012. I know in 2008 you voted to someone voted for someone to prove you're not a racist. So how about in 2012 voting for someone else to prove you're not an idiot? The Southerners have dropped the ball here, people. It's their heritage. It's their ancestors they're betraying. They're betraying them as well as rightful liberty, freedom. And why have they attacked the people of the South? Because resistance to tyranny is obedience to God. That's what Benjamin Franklin wanted to put on the seal of America. Resistance to tyrants is obedience to God. Didn't make it on the U.S. seal, but Thomas Jefferson put it in wrought iron on the entrance to his cemetery at Monticello, providing the Marxist bastards haven't torn it down. You know, there's something about us unreconstructed Southerners that uh, Yankees and social justice warriors and cultural Marxists, they'll never ever understand this. Because if the era of the war of northern aggression, our second war for independence, is more alive to us than it is the Yankee or the northerner. It is because all of the southerners' past is alive in their minds and in their hearts. And this is so because the southerner has a sense of having been present there himself in the person of one or more of his ancestors. The war filled merely a chapter in his family history, which has been transmitted orally from grandfather to father to son to grandson 
down over the past 150 to 60 years. The proverbs, the prophecies, the legends, the laws, the traditions of our origin and tales of the wanderings of our people. It is this feeling of identity and solidarity with the dead which characterizes and explains the southerner, the unreconstructed southerner of today. It is with these kin, and not with political causes, pardon me, that we are linked to our past. Confederate great-grandfather is not remembered for his probably undistinguished part in the Battle of Bull Run, but rather Bull Run is remembered because our great-grandfather was there. For the southerner, for the southerner, the true unreconstructed southerner, the Civil War is part of our family. Clannishness was and is the key to the southerner's temperament, the Scots-Irish mainly. And he went off to war to protect not Alabama, but only those 30 or 40 acres of its sandy hillside or stiff red clay, which he had broken his back tilling farming to keep his family alive and well. And this was as big a country as his mind could hold and imagine. Now, quite a few years back, I wrote an article and uh, to kind of express uh, some of these feelings that I'm feeling today, some of the anger and the pain, and I get upset about this. And so it, it becomes a real emotional subject for me because I'm past unreconstructed, I promise you. If there is a place to be past unreconstructed, <laughs> and there is, I'm there. But the title of my article back then was, It's Not Your Flag. But my good buddy James Edwards, down at the political cesspool, kind of changed the name a little bit based on something I said at uh, the Dixie Fest back in, on July the 9th. He went back and kind of changed the title of my article which he has had prominently posted at uh, the political cesspool for quite some time now, several years. And the title he changed it to was, you know, of course, again, is what I had said at the Dixie Fest. It's not your flag, you Yankee bastard. Leave it alone. So let me read from you, read from that article for you, please. In late June of 1863, the 800-plus North Carolinians who made up the 26th North Carolina Infantry Regiment began their long march from the vicinity of Fredericksburg, Virginia, to near Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. The 26th North Carolina was made up of primarily hardscrabble farm boys from central and western North Carolina. A great many of these men were under the age of 25. Among them were two of my ancestors. Records indicate that the colonel of the 26th, Harry Bergwin Jr., was a slave owner. While we may look at that as being racist in today's world, in 1861 in all of America it was perfectly legal, and in June of 1863, according to Abraham Lincoln's recently issued Emancipation Proclamation, 
Slavery was legal in every northern state and all of the border states and any area in the South under control of the Union Army. Think about that, people. <laughs> Lincoln made sure he didn't free the slaves that they could use for their own purposes. Slavery in any area under dominion and control of Abraham Lincoln and the U.S. government was legal. How is it that none of the flags represented or displayed by the Union Army are considered racist today? Hypocrites who believe one and do not accept the other. Families, though, were well represented throughout the 26th North Carolina. Sometimes as many as eight brothers had joined the various companies throughout the regiment. In Foxtrot Company, or F Company, there were three sets of twins in the 26th North Carolina. It should be of special note that upon departure from Virginia within the 26th North Carolina Infantry Regiment, over 150 of the men in the ranks were barefooted. A veteran of the march from Virginia to Pennsylvania would write, Thousands were as ragged as they could be, some with the bottom of their pants and long frazzles, others with their knees sticking out, others out at the elbows, and their hair sticking through the holes in their hats. Farmers from the area these men called home could not afford replacement clothes and shoes, much less a slave. One of their officers wrote home of these men, and I quote, These men were patriots. They loved their country. They loved liberty. They were quick to see, quick to understand, and quick to act. Well, that characteristic has certainly been lost on their progeny. To a student of history, the character and dedication of these young men appear eerily similar to those who secured our freedom from King George III. As a matter of fact, they were most proud of the name Rebel, for that was the sobriquet Major John Pitcairn of the Royal Marines had called out to those farmers and shopkeepers assembled on the green in Lexington, Massachusetts on April the 19th, 1775. Disperse, ye rebels, ye villains, disperse. Why don't you lay down your arms and disperse? Unquote. When the 26th North Carolina started their long trek to Gettysburg, they did so with torn and tattered clothing and many with no shoes, as I mentioned before. But they began their journey with a new battle flag. From Raleigh to New Bern to Malvern Hill, the 26th North Carolina had displayed the first flag of the Confederacy, known to many as the Stars and Bars. The Stars and Bars' similarity to the Stars and Stripes of the Union Army had led to confusion on several occasions, especially when viewed by field commanders from afar. Therefore, in June of 1863, the 26th North Carolina left Virginia, with what before had been the Confederate Naval Jack, better known to many as the St. Andrew's Cross. On the 1st of July in 1863, the 26th North Carolina went into battle near Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, on what was called McPherson's Ridge in Herbst Woods by local residents. This area was just to the south of the Chambersburg Pike. The 26th North Carolina was opposed by parts of the Union Army's Iron Brigade, 
which was made up of the 24th Michigan, the 7th Wisconsin, and the 19th Indiana. The 26th North Carolina drove the Iron Brigade from the field and into the streets of Gettysburg, where the soldiers of the Iron Brigade hid in cellars of local homes and even tried to surrender to each other. (laughs) Brave Yankees. Yet in that one half hour, the North Carolina boys suffered horrendous casualties. Colonel Harry Bergwin, Jr., 20 years old, was mortally wounded and would die that evening. Second-in-command, Lieutenant Colonel John Lane, was seriously wounded and near death. Of the 800 members of the 26th who entered the battle, 588 had been killed or wounded. The regiment's ten companies had been led by nine captains. Three of the nine survived that first day's battle. Sixteen lieutenants were dead or wounded. E Company and F Companies, who were on the flanks of the color guard, were almost completely decimated. Of the 82 men who began the battle with Company E, only 12 remained uninjured. Of the 91 men from Company F, 90 had been killed or wounded, including five of the six twin brothers, which I had mentioned earlier. On several occasions during the battle, the opposing forces had been just yards apart. During the one-half-hour charge up the hill, 14 different men, including Colonel Bergwin and Lieutenant Colonel Lane, had gone down while carrying the Confederate battle flag, the colors. Carrying the colors was an extremely, especially an extremely dangerous place to be as it became the focal point for enemy gunfire. Thus the decimation of the two companies, E and F, who were on either side of the colors. General Pettigrew would state these men, along with the rest of the 26th North Carolina, had, and I quote, covered themselves with glory, unquote. Well, the 26th North Carolina registered and regrouped on the 2nd of July and listened to the regimental band play songs such as The Bonnie Blue Flag and Dixie. The 26th would go into battle again on the 3rd of July. They made part, made up part of that heroic charge across that, across that open field in what history has called Pickett's Charge. They would take their place in front of the line during that charge from seminary to Cemetery Ridge. Eight more brave men of the 26th North Carolina would be killed or wounded while carrying the Southern Cross. Of the 216 men of the 26th North Carolina who participated in the battle on the 3rd of July, only 84 survived. All told, the 26th North Carolina Infantry Regiment suffered the greatest losses of any unit on either side during the war. Little did these extraordinarily brave and courageous men know that 150 years later, worthless pieces of humanity who do nothing but breathe up good oxygen and lack the courage one of these brave men had in the tip of his finger would refer to them and those of their posterity who honor such courage, devotion, and commitment as racists. Those who have fallen mentally ill and cowardly while absorbing the deadly virus of political correctness, white guilt, and cultural Marxism are unworthy of being mentioned in the same breath as any of those heroes. 
Their letters home spoke of defending their country from the Yankee invader and defending freedom and liberty. These men gave the ultimate sacrifice on the field of honor. The overwhelming majority of these young men owned no slaves and their absence placed terrible burdens on their families, as did their deaths. Theirs was a battle for home, family, and fireside, and the right of consent of the governed, as was stated in our Declaration of Independence. Abject cowards despise the virtue of bravery in others. That's why they hate the unreconstructed Southerner, folks. Those who have no honor or commitment to purpose abhor those who do. The men of the 26th North Carolina Infantry Regiment had courage, honor, and commitment in abundance. They died or were seriously injured carrying the Confederate battle flag into battle. That flag is representative of the true character of the men who died on the field of honor in valiant pursuit of that which they believed to be right and true. That flag also represents those who hold such honor, bravery, and dedication in the highest regard and cherish the memory of the men who left home and family behind in the pursuit of freedom from invasion, oppression, and tyranny. The Confederate battle flag has flown where the idea of resistance to tyranny is paramount to the consideration for one's personal safety and well-being. The Southern Cross, as it is often called, was seen on the Berlin Wall before it fell, and in Tiananmen Square in Beijing during the protest in 1989. When the Standards Committee of the Confederate Congress decided on the design of the Cross of St. Andrew for the Confederate battle flag, the following explanation was sent to Samuel Barrett of Georgia, and I quote, The flag should be a token of humble of acknowledgement of God and be a public testimony to the world that our trust is in the Lord our God, unquote. If you are a coward, an advocate of political correctness, a cultural Marxist, a person who lacks a commitment to moral standards, or simply a member of the institutionalized ignorant segment of this society, the Confederate battle flag, the Southern Cross, is not your flag. Leave the presentation and possession of this flag to those who possess a portion of the character, courage, commitment to freedom, in honor of the men of the 26th North Carolina Infantry Regiment and tens of thousands of other brave Southern men, black and white, who marched under that banner and those who cherish their memory. Those who hate this flag and seek to ban it do so because in their hearts and minds they know that they will never ever be equal to the challenges of those who fought and died for it. It's not your flag, Yankee bastard. Leave it alone. Sergeant Joel Gaddy was a member of Company K of the 26th North Carolina Infantry Regiment and surrendered with that unit at Appomattox Courthouse in April of 1865. Sergeant Gaddy was wounded on July the 1st, 1863 at Gettysburg. Private Elijah Gaddy was also a member of Company K of the 26th North Carolina. 
and was wounded on July the 1st, 1863 at Gettysburg. And since there is no further record of his existence in the Confederate documents, the Confederate documented history of the 26th North Carolina Company K, the natural assumption is, is that he succumbed to his injuries somewhere there on the night of July the 1st and is buried somewhere we don't know where. So folks, when you start telling me that I need to take down a flag because it's racist, you might want to watch where you're going because that's uncharted territory. And the memory of my ancestors is strong because their blood runs through me. And if you think for a minute I'm going to tarnish that for your Marxist frickin' principles. Oh, I forgot. Marxists don't have principles. Just hate. If you truly believe that, it's not your flag. And all of this brings me to a really critical question that I've had. And maybe, perhaps, there'll be someone out there who can attempt to answer this. But, uh, you know, there are five known flags that represented the Confederacy. Five. First, second, third, Bonnie Blue flag, and the St. Andrew's Cross. But yet the St. Andrew's Cross has been singled out by the wonderful folks at NAACP and Southern Poverty Law Center and other places to be the focus of their attack. And the I, I can't help but answer, ask myself, why? Why did they pick one flag? Because... Is it too hard for these mindless idiots to remember four other flags? Or is there a purpose to take the St. Andrew's Cross, not the Bonnie Blue flag, not the first, second, or third, the stainless banner, which was called the second flag of the Confederacy, which presented a real problem on the battlefield because when there was no wind or anything, when it was just unfurled so to speak it appeared on the field of battle to be the flag of surrender it appeared to be a white flag so it was then done away with to move on to the third flag of the confederacy and then that one looked like the stars and stripes on the battlefield at a distance so they decided on the St. Andrew's Cross the Confederate battle flag. And that is the target. That is the racist flag. But the others are not. Or at least they haven't been so designated. Maybe, you know, this will wake up those uh, communist bastards and they will decide to say, okay, well, maybe we need to attack the other ones too, at least to have a little bit of conformity to our idiocracy. Ah. Oh. My anger. Well, folks, I'm about to give you an answer here for my own question. 
And this is my belief. And I think circumstances will prove it to be correct. I believe that the attack on the Confederate battle flag is because of the five Confederate banners. That is the only one with a religious Christian background. Are these Marxists, these socialists, these social justice warriors, are they attacking that flag because it is the flag that represents Christ? Is that their secret attack? It only makes sense. Why not the others? Why not the Bonnie Blue flag? It was the first one. Why not go after that one and call it the origin of racism? No, they don't go after the first four. They only go after the fifth. Now, why might that happen? Let's look at some of the things about that flag. And this is what is claimed, especially by many of the what we would call chaplains that were initiated by Stonewall Jackson in the spring of 1863. The red field represents the blood of Christ. The white border represents the protection of God. The blue X represents the Christian cross of St. Andrew, the first disciple of Christ Jesus and patron saint of Scotland. The 13 stars represent the 13 southern states of secession. Thus, the message in the Confederate battle flag is this. Through the blood of Christ, with the protection of God, we, the 13 states, are united in our Christian fight for liberty. Well, folks, is that the reason for the attack on the Confederate battle flag? Because it represents the flag of Christ uh, when uh, uh, St. Andrew said when he was being crucified, I am unworthy of being crucified on the flag. I mean, I'm sorry, on the cross. I'm unworthy of a cross like the Lord Jesus. So turn it at an angle into an X. Is that... It, this, there's got to be something to this, people. There is a reason for everything these people do. They're not idiots. So why in the 50s did the NAACP, using their little puppets, the black race in America, why did they use them to attack specifically the battle flag of the Confederacy? And not the others. Why don't they mention them? Because I promise you, if you held the other four up to most, except for the ones that have it in the corner, the battle flag in the corner, except for those, what they wouldn't even know what it was. That is the very bottom line. And when we, if you have read about... Now, for you folks who might be offended by my flag, just absolutely amazes you, man. You could be offended by my flag. Let me tell you 
what you're offended by. And that is, why would you hate a flag for the following reasons? Number one, Christianity, as I mentioned before. A prominent feature of the Confederate battle flag is the X emblazoned boldly from corner to corner. Internationally, the X is known as shorthand for Christ, thus the abbreviation Xmas. The derivation for the design is the pattern of the Scottish flag, adopted in the 15th century to honor Jesus' apostle, St. Andrew, who died a martyr's death on an X-shaped cross. Incorporating the X in the design in the 19th century southern battle flag by a population heavily populated with Scottish and Scots-Irish stock should not be surprising to anyone. Neither surprising should be the abhorrence of this emblem by atheists who seek to eradicate all vestiges of God from public view like the Jewish leaders of the NAACP. Well, Dr. Ben Carson said on many occasions, and I quote, America has a God problem, and the disdain for the Southern Cross is symptomatic of that could-be terminal illness. The freedom from religion movement is a natural bedfellow of the anti-speech movement, both are avowed enemies of the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. Now let's take another look at a reason called diversity. The modern mantra, diversity is our strength, was never more exemplified than in the wartime Southern Confederacy. The population of the South was more diverse than any other geographical area in the world. If you were a free black, you couldn't go to Illinois or Indiana without posting a bond. And if you did something that the officials didn't like, of course you couldn't defend yourself in court and you, because you weren't allowed to be in court. And so if you did something they didn't like, they could sell you into slavery from a free person. The government claimed the right to sell black people into slavery in Illinois and Indiana. What does that tell you? The melting pot of the South. European, African, Hispanic, and Asian is credited for producing the most potent fighting force for its size ever assembled in the history of warfare. The ranks of combatants fighting under the Confederate battle flag were populated by a racially integrated military more than 100 years before the same would be adopted by the United States Army. Today the Confederate battle flag is beloved by and identified with all true unreconstructed Southerners. Of all ethnicities it should be. What flag other than this one can make that claim? Let's look at identity. Southern Americans are Americans as much as any other hyphenated group 
southern-hyphenated-american. Maybe I should be a southern American to rank me up there with a native American or with all the hyphen. Oh, southerners fight our wars, pay our taxes, build our roads and bridges and write and sing our music. As Elvis Presley is a world-renowned icon of America, her history and her culture, so is the Confederate battle flag that you want to rip down and that you call racist. The French writer Mylon Kundera opined that, and I quote, the first step in liquidating a people is to erase its memory, unquote. Shaming the battle flag and those that display it and eradicating it from public view yes, even in museums, has been the relentless demand of a segment of the political spectrum. The wonderful NAACP declared it, and I quote, an odious blight on the universe. And it reminds them of a dark time in our nation's past. But then, so do a litany of other inanimate objects that are conveniently weaponized to expunge and rewrite American history and the American identity. Those who value American identity cannot refute that, like it or not. My battle flag is an American icon. And then, what about integrity? There are a few symbols today that are more criticized than my flag. It is often likened, especially by the NAACP, to the swastika of Nazi Germany. But over the years, the Stars and Stripes has accumulated detractors too. Even the Christian cross has been banned from chapels on public universities and nativity scenes and Ten Commandments displays as well. Is this attack on Christianity and the attack on the Confederate battle flag? Related? Well, the swastika's benign origin was hijacked by Nazi Germany. Similarly, the Confederate battle flag, originally intended to be a symbol of protection in battle, has been hijacked as a weapon against the forces of the South, our heritage, and of the Christian faith. Few can disagree that, like these other symbols, they are evocative to some and repulsive to others. But that's life, people. Intellectual honesty demands that the meaning of an object or a symbol that has been hijacked by one group does not change its, mean, change its meaning for everybody. In fact, by accepting the meaning of the hijackers, one acquiesces to hijackers and labels the just as unjust, change the meanings. Americans at one time were known for their ability to see through deceit and injustice by assigning the true meaning to the Confederate battle flag and to show their true love for actual justice and integrity. What about liberty? Though the United Daughters of the Confederacy fought hard to cloister the flag of their fathers when Americans needed a truly American symbol, 
they turned to the Confederate battle flag. During the Korean conflict, the United Nations uniform blue helmets and ban on the stars and stripes required an identifiable American symbol enter the Confederate battle flag. Since its re-entry into world culture, it has gained international recognition as a symbol of resistance to tyranny used by freedom fighters on four continents. What the South developed in its resistance of a tyrannical neighbor has been exported to and adopted by freedom fighters around the world. The need to resist and oppose tyranny is innate in the human condition. God-given rights require enforcement, people. Tyrants oppose resistance in all forms, including the Southern Cross. Calling it racist has been effective in suppressing this symbol of resistance, despite the hypocrisy that other beloved American symbols can, when held to the same standard, be judged to be equally or more racist than this Southern emblem. Recently, opponents of liberty have admitted that the Confederate flag, to them, is identical to the Stars and Stripes, and all vestiges of both of them must go. See what happens when you let the camel get his nose under the tent. In contrast, true lovers of rightful liberty, even those who may not totally understand and comprehend the original message, will embrace not suppress a harmless piece of cotton fabric. At least all my flags are cotton. What about unity? United we stand, divided we fall. It's practically an American nursery rhyme exerted from the, 19, uh, from the 1768 song Liberty. Americans, like many families, bicker among themselves. But when the real foe appears, families unite and fight them together. The Confederate battle flag also represents unity. Despite the rambunctious personalities and fiercely independent states that comprise the Confederate States of America, the Confederate battle flag became the unifying symbol. Yes, it had multiple versions, but the Southern forces were united under the X, the Southern Cross, and Southern Skies. A defensive fight, the South united yellow, black, brown, and white under the X to resist a superior invading force. This unification in the face of adversity is most certainly a virtue that patriotic Americans can acknowledge. Anarchists, no-borders, one-worlders naturally are not included in the aforementioned group, although in what I'm quoting here from, uh, this wonderful person needs an education on what an anarchist is. Not unlike the U.S. flag, the Confederate flag unifies the Southern people, who are a large and important segment of the American population, united with their brethren, but with distinctive differences. Unless they and their memory are to be eradicated from the face of the earth, Continuing to attack the Confederate flag only promotes division. It will never promote unity among the American people, black and white. 
Americans who value Christianity, unity, liberty, and integrity, diversity, and American identity cannot philosophically, honestly reject the Confederate battle flag. In fact, it so precisely defines American values that condemn it would be un-American. Nothing in man's domain is perfect, only in God's. So I have quoted quite a bit here from Lola Sanchez, or Sanchez, an independent historian in Florida in this last part, because so many things she gets so correct. And so I thank her for those words. So, my fellow Americans, um, yeah, remember that from the 70s? Uh, yes, so why are we as a people, why are we, especially in the white race, why are we content to allow someone to steal from us, to take from us because we're too cowardly to stand up to defend it? Why do we allow someone to take from us that precious part of our heritage, that precious part of who we are? You're going to tell me, as I read before about my relatives who went off to fight for the 26th North Carolina. Others fought for the 28th North Carolina, the 16th North Carolina. I've got 27 of them confirmed. Not one owned a slave. Which brings me to that other part. How really damn dumb do you have to be to believe that a person of very meager existence would leave their homes, their families, their crops, their well-being of their families to go fight a war, possibly die, so that someone they don't know can own a slave. Now, nothing about the entire experience of the Confederacy, nothing makes any sense. If you look at that, over 90% of the men who left their families, their homes, picked up a squirrel rifle, whatever they had, and went off to defend their home. As I mentioned earlier, that poor farmer in Alabama who had 30, 40 acres that he was farming, he could care less what was going on on a plantation in Charleston, South Carolina. He didn't care. But his family, his way of life was being invaded by a Yankee invader. That's why he left his home, family, and fireside. And many times left them to suffer tremendously. No man of honor leaves his family in that situation except for something that is very, very important to him. And Southerners didn't go die so that some rich man could own another human being. At the Constitutional Convention in 1787, 
the Quakers sent a request to the convention to abolish slavery. It was sent to Tinchcox. Tinchcox sent it to Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin took the document as is best recorded, took it to the Constitutional Convention, but never read it. But what did they read at the Constitutional Convention instead? A letter from none other than the synagogue of Philadelphia from one Mr. Jonas Phillips, I believe his name was. Now, what did uh, Mr. Phillips' letter to the convention have to say? Well, it was read in early September, right before the Constitution was, in fact, rewritten by Gouverneur Morris of the Committee of Style and Arrangement. But let me quote to you that letter. I, the subscriber, being one of the people called Jews of the city of Philadelphia, a people scattered and dispersed among all nations, do behold with concern that among the laws in the Constitution of Pennsylvania there is a clause, section 10, which states, I do believe in one God, the, cre cre the creator and the governor of the universe, the rewarder of the good and the punisher of the wicked. And I do acknowledge the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by a divine inspiration, to swear and believe that the New Testament was given by divine inspiration is absolutely against the religious principles of a Jew and is against his conscience to take any such oath. By the above law, a Jew is deprived of holding any public office or place of government which is contradictory to the Bill of Rights, Section 2. So what happened after that is most telling. Placed in Article 6, Clause 3 was a provision in the Constitution that eliminated the oath to the Christian faith, eliminated that from the federal government and from the state governments eventually. It was all removed. No oath to the Christian faith. And we claim to be a nation of Christians. Kind of a funny how the synagogue of Philadelphia was able to bring that in and get almost immediate results, is it not? Oh, there's a long story, a deep story behind all of that because the international banking cabal controlled that constitutional convention of 1787 and one of the premier people there pitching for a monarchy was none other than the Jew, Alexander Hamilton. So as we look at this, and as we look at why, why have we allowed these people to remove Christmas from public display? Why have we allowed them to remove the words Christmas from public display? 
Why have we allowed them to take prayer from schools? And then we look around us at utter chaos, especially in our government, and we ask ourselves, How'd this happen? I don't know. I was voting. I vote every two years. I never miss one. How can we even begin to ask that stupid question? How did this happen? started happening 235 years ago. The very essence of the southern people was being removed. The southern people wanted that back. They did not want the ungodliness of the Yankee invader to permeate their lives and to control their lives and go back to the words of the Bonnie Blue Flag to steal from them what was rightfully theirs. And therefore, I'm also reminded of a gentleman in the North Carolina Ratification Convention, 1788, who predicted all of this with a very simple sentence. And he said, Should this Article 6, Clause 3, pass then we will find ourselves ruled by infidels and Muslims and papists. Papist was the word for Catholics. That was his statement. Now I know all of you people are going to go, wow, look at that. You know, look what he said there. That, that's, that's racist. That's discrimination. Was he wrong? Don't blast him with your invectives and your hyperbole. Was Harry Abbott wrong, people? That's a question you're going to have to ask yourself. Because we have been converted into a society that claims today still to be a Christian nation. And how can you be a Christian nation? when you allow your leadership to remove your faith, not only personally, but collectively from your society itself. And this is exactly what's happening. And those of you who complain about Christmas being removed or nativity scenes being removed, if you aren't equally upset about the Confederate battle flag, you're a hypocrite. And you really don't have a clue. The thing, folks, that it is critical that you remember is that when these group of heathens came after my flag, at the same time, they came after your God. Well, folks, I haven't talked to you uh, uh, in a... Uh, Whistling Dixie since uh, that uh, wonderful fall fest up in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina, where uh, a group of us, uh, Jim Ram from Ohio, uh, D.W. from Alabama, uh, our good friend Blackbird Nine from up in North Kakalaki, where we met in Traveler's Rest. 
along with our good South Carolina, South Kakalakian there of Stephen Douglas Whitener. And we had just one heck of a time. It was really, really a pleasant experience. The people you meet, the people you talk to, the people who feel like we do, the people who embrace and appreciate our ancestors and their courage. Don't throw your ancestor away because they're not a coward like you. That is critical. Well, anyway, I just wanted to thank uh, Paul, the Jolly Boys, and Ms. and uh, Dr. Alchi. <laughs> what a beautiful lady. And uh, the stuff that uh, took place up there, Hunter, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> and Johnny Reb in the leather shop and... Oh, man, the wonderful young man who was there with just a wealth of knowledge to see that, to see young Southern people embrace their heritage and have a knowledge, a working knowledge of their own history. It just, it was, oh, man, it means so much. And then, of course, I just want to close by letting you folks know we had a group come out from Clemson University. And they were part of the program, you know, walking around, talking to people, everything else. It was so fortunate to be able to talk with those people. And along with that group was uh, one young lady who kind of stood out uh, from the group uh, in several ways. One of those would have been her skin color. (laughs) She happened to be black. And she was just absolutely fantastic. She knew her history. She knows what actually happened. And she cares. And she's a Christian. She cares about this stuff. It makes a difference. I would ask all of you, as you go about your daily prayer schedule, to please include this young lady. And because she's fighting... A really tough battle. I know how hard it is to fight this battle in a white skin. Man, I can't even imagine what it would be like to fight this battle in a black skin. The courage of that lady is just absolutely unreal. And that is what we should all be about. The same thing. I hope the rebel son will forgive me for this. But this best exemplifies my thoughts and my beliefs so very on point. Southern ground.
son I hope you don't get angry at me for sharing your thoughts here with my group but you said it better than anyone else I know God bless you brother God bless all you folks who are listening hope to see you again real soon on Whistling Dixie